thank you, Kate. Please do take it. And if you've got a Bible there, I wonder if you would be kind enough uh, to open it back up at Matthew chapter 16, page 983. If you don't have a Bible at home, by the way, or you don't have a Bible that's easy to read at home, uh, then do please take one of these church Bibles away with you. It's, it's our gift to you. We'd be delighted uh, for you to just to swipe one and take it home and read about Jesus yourself. It's on page 983, Matthew chapter 16. I am phenomenally encouraged, phenomenally encouraged by sentence 18. There's a little clause uh, where it says, Jesus says, I will build my church. Do you see that there? Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, aren't you relieved that it's not Alex saying, I will build my church? You are a little bit, aren't you? Um, thank you, Judith, for nodding so vigorously. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm relieved that it's not me saying, I will build my church. I've, I've had the fortune of some really great training experiences and education. I've had the good fortune of working in a number of different churches in China and here in the UK. I've worked under phenomenal leaders who have invested in me. But trust me, you do not want it to be me saying, I will build my church. Jesus says it, doesn't he? I will build my church. Whose church is, is it? Jesus's church. Who's going to build it? Jesus is going to build it. I hope as well you are relieved and thrilled. It's not Chris and Lawrence, our elders, saying, I will build my church. We will build our church. Now, Chris and Lawrence are fantastic. I was able to embarrass them earlier on this morning at the earlier service when they were both here and tell everyone just how phenomenal they are. They are incredible men of God. They've got David's own heart as they pursue Jesus themselves, men of real character, incredible competence in, in all sorts of aspects of their life. They'll be the first to say they're not perfect, only Jesus is perfect. But they are chasing hard after Jesus and both of them have served this church, as a, a number of us know, uh, for decades and decades in all sorts of different ways. They would never dream of saying, we will build our church, nor would we want them to say that, would we? Jesus says it, I will build my church church. The deacons and the steering groups over the various different congregations. If you're newer to us as a church, we uh, now have eight congregations, eight gatherings through the week, five on a Sunday, uh, three during the week. None of the leadership groups over those different congregations would want to say, we are building our church. They wouldn't. And we wouldn't want them to say that, would we? As fantastic they are as groups of leaders, giving so much time and energy and talent uh, towards that. It's Jesus who says it. I will build my church. His church, he will build it. But if you're anything like me, I immediately want to say, well, what is Jesus going to use to build it? What are the raw ingredients? Well, what, what's the foundation that he's actually going to use if he's going to build his church? What is he working with? Now, I know he's the creator God who made everything from nothing, so he doesn't really need raw ingredients, does he? But I want to know the answer to that. Well, I think in this little episode, we have that answer. I'd like to read it again so it's fresh in our heads. It's Matthew chapter 16, sentence 13 to 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he, said to his, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? The most contemporary question, it echoes down to each of us today, particularly if you're not sure yet. Who do you say Jesus is? 
Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Do you see, he talks about a rock there. Do you see that? He says, I will build my church on this rock. There is something Jesus needs for him to build his church. He needs this rock for him to then go ahead and build his church. So we've got to be saying, well, what is this rock? Now, some have speculated. I think it's a wrong speculation. I'll show you why in a moment. Some have speculated that the rock Jesus is talking about is the individual man, Peter, that one individual man, Peter. Now, without doubt, there's an ironic play on words. Peter or Cephas in the original, his name literally means rock, but not rock like the wrestler and the rock, rock like Dunder's head, rock, yeah? And, but actually, I don't think Jesus here is referring to Peter, the individual. I don't think he's saying, on Peter, that one person, I'm going to build my church. After all, the church we're told elsewhere in the Bible is built on Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the cornerstone. So what is the rock that is being referred to? Well, open up your Bibles again and, and have a look. Jesus tells us. Look at sentence 16 and 17. Here's the rock. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Do you notice sentence 16, there's a declaration, sentence 17 from a revelation. Do you see that? In sentence 17, Jesus says, something has been revealed to you, Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. His dad was called Jonah, that's why he's the son of Jonah. Because this hasn't been revealed by flesh and blood, but by God, my Father. Jesus is saying, look, Peter, you've come to understand that Jesus is the Christ. Christ means God's unique king and ruler. You've come to understand that by revelation from God, something God has done. Not by your own speculation, not by your own education, not, not by flesh and blood, but God has done it. There is a revelation that Peter goes, from what I've seen and what I've heard of Jesus, I now know, I'm convinced, he is the son of the living God. Now, I just want to pull into a lay-by for a moment on that phrase, son of the living God. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, one of our youth groups, our Sunday night youth group, a couple of months ago now, six weeks or eight weeks ago now, uh, talking to them, and they had, a, they had questions about the Trinity. Now, I was in some deep water here, but I've learned to blag it and look confident. They were asking about, well, how, how, what, what's the Trinity all about? And, and where they were confused, one of the places they were confused, is because they've heard Jesus talked about as the Son of God, they were thinking, well, Jesus must be the offspring of God, the, the child of God. Because in, in English culture and language, that's predominantly how we use the phrase son of, don't we? Isaac, Jonas, Gideon and Moses, they are my four sons. They are the son of Alex. But actually, in Jesus' culture of the time, a kind of Greek-Hebrew culture, son of wasn't a reference to biology. It wasn't that someone was their offspring. It was a reference to being exactly like. If you said someone is the son of someone, you mean they are exactly like. They are a perfect imprint, a perfect image of that person. Now, we do use that phrase, son of, a little bit in English to mean that, don't we? 
So for example, it often happens in our house when one of our boys is grubby, grubby, dirty, half or entirely naked, shinnying up a tree with a catapult, and someone will say, Alex, they're so your son, aren't they? Right? Now they don't mean, literally, they're your biological offspring. They more mean they're just like you, don't they? That's what's going on here. When Peter says, I have realized that you are the son of the living God, he's not saying you're the offspring, he's saying you are exactly like the living God, an exact imprint. You are God himself. And that understanding of who Jesus is only comes when God intervenes into a human heart and changes our thinking to see that. When all the evidence is piled up in front of us and then kabam, like that little match that begins the torch that sets the firework off, God says, do you see? The rock is revelation. I've come to realize who Jesus is. Not a fantasy or fabricated figure, but the son of the living God, God himself. Revelation followed by declaration. Sentence 16. They go together. The rock that Jesus will use to build his church is as people come to understand through revelation and declare through declaration that Jesus is God. It's not about Peter the individual. It's about every single human being who can say, that is true of me. I have come to understand that Jesus is God himself and I am willing to declare it to the people around me in my words and my works. That is a rock that Jesus picks up and begins to use to build his church. Does that make sense? And so all of a sudden, it is no longer just Peter, this man in ancient history. And friends, ever so carefully I say it, it's no longer the supposed succession to the Pope today, which is meant to be a direct line back to Peter. It is not on an individual that the church is built, any individual. It is on all people who are able to say, I have come to realize and I'm willing to declare that Jesus is God. And I'll do that with my words and I'll do that with my works. It's wonderfully liberating, isn't it? Jesus says, you are my rocks. You are my rocks, if that describes you. Now again, I have a question now. What does it mean to be a rock? What does it mean in real practical reality to be someone who Jesus can use because I've, it's been revealed and I'm declaring, revealed and I'm declaring? What, what does it mean? So here's mini-sermon number two. We articulate this in what we call our values as a church. So about four or five years ago as a church, we set through an exercise where we said, who has God made us and who do we aspire to be directed entirely about the, from the Bible in terms of what we should be as a church and who we should be, both as individuals. So these are values that actually by saying, well, I want to be part of this community of which everyone is welcome to. I'm going to aspire to this as an individual in my parenting, in my approach to tackling my porn addiction, in, in how I manage my finances, in how I juggle the redundancy that's come. These are values that I am going to try and live out as an individual, but also collectively as one community, one church across, as I say, eight main meetings, one church collectively. Now, I've got prizes for those who can throw out a value, okay? But, because I noticed we've still got some young ones in, I thought it wasn't fair to give chocolates only to grown-ups. Grace, are you ready? It's only one-handed. Should I throw it, throw it to your dad? I don't know, Grace one-handed or Simon two-handed? I don't know which is safer bet. Yeah, no, really. There we go. Oh! Quick, get that recorded. Simon dropped it. Right, and Shannon, was it? 
Yeah, I'm going for it, all the way at the back. I'm going for you or your dad? Who's, who's trustworthy? Oh, he stood up. He's, he's like in the slips now. Yeah, go long, go long, go long. Don't, don't, don't be so silly. We don't do things like that in church. No, hey! Marvellous. Right, uh, okay. Uh, yes, so now I've got more. I've got, they're the best ones. I've given you guys the best ones. So our values, we've got four of them. Who knows a value? I'm literally asking you to shout out in church. Who's got a value? Bible saturated. Sue, was that you, Sue? Yes, it was. Sue, what do you want? A Snickers or a Mars bar or, or Minty Aeros? Snickers. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This, this is a bit weighty. I'm a bit worried. Pam, yeah, I'd lean left. Yeah, ready? Yes! Woo! So here's a value, a value of being Bible saturated. So as a church, we take the Bible really, really seriously. We think it is amazing, absolutely incredible, that not only does God exist, not only does God do things, but God speaks to us. Isn't that remarkable? And the trustworthy main way that God speaks to us is through the Bible. Lots of other ways, but the trustworthy main way he speaks to us is through the Bible. And so we take the Bible very, very seriously. We delight in it and we try and do what it says. And in that sense, we are simply following Jesus' model. We're trying to emulate Jesus. Jesus in Luke 4, verse 4, for example, quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he says, people cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in both of those contexts, it's a direct reference to what's written down in this book that we call the Bible. We cannot live solely on bread, on food. If that's all you're nourishing yourself, on, you will die. Maybe not physically, but spiritually and eternally. We live predominantly on what comes out of the Bible. A chap called John Piper speculates, and I love this, he suggests the only reason God created us with stomachs and digestive juices and taste buds and ability to grow corn and make bread, the only reason God did any of that was so we had an analogy of how desperately we need the Bible. He only made us human beings who need to eat so we can understand how devastating it is to us spiritually if we don't feast on the Bible. It's as bad as not eating food. You die. You die. Interesting speculation. I think he's right myself. I think that's why God has made us people who have to eat. John Piper continues as a total aside uh, that the reason God made us having to sleep. Why has God made us have to sleep? He didn't have to make us as sleeping people. Why does he make us having to sleep? So we understand that we cannot do it all. We tire out and God doesn't. It's the only reason we need to sleep. So we understand how infinitely powerful God is and how minuscule and minute our power is. A human being can't make more than about 48 hours without sleep before it dies compared to God who never has to sleep for eternity. Anyway, that's a total aside. But it's interesting to think like that, isn't it? Yeah. John Piper, he's worth looking up. So we take the Bible really seriously. Jesus says it's as important as food, as important as bread uh, to feed us. We take it seriously as individuals. We take it seriously as a church. We lean into things like 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where the church is described as a pillar and buttress of truth, a pillar holding something high, a buttress holding it firm. The church collectively must do both. It must put the truth out there for all to see, but it must hold the truth firm as well so it's not changed. But we also take it seriously as individuals. We try and encourage one another. And if you're not yet a Christian, this is a window in to what it means to be part of this church. We try and encourage each other to live out what the Bible says in our everyday lives. And here's the crunch, even when we don't want to. 
even when what the Bible says comes into conflict with what culture says or what we personally would prefer, we go with what the Bible says. Why is that? Because we believe God is too wise to have made a mistake and too loving to wish us harm. And therefore, what the Bible says is both wiser and more loving than what we say or what culture says. We assume the Bible is wiser because God wrote it. We assume the Bible is more loving because God wrote it than either we are or culture is. And therefore, even if we can't understand everything because of our limited capacities, we believe God knows exactly what's going on. Too wise to make a mistake, too loving to wish us harm. We do what the Bible says even when we don't want to. That's value number one. Sue got that one. Who's got... Oh, and Trevor, I knew as soon as chocolate came into being. Cho uh, uh, Trevor, I've got, uh, what else have I got here? I've got the Aero, the Minty Aeros. I've got M blue M&Ms. I don't know what they are. Nut allergy, probably keep away from them. Or, or Mars Bar. Mars Bar. Mars Bar, ready? Oh, you know, everyone's like, oh my goodness, like the parting of the Red Sea. Oh, it's short, he's got there. Dave tried to nick that, yeah. Uh, what did you say? What did he say? Spirit dependent, spirit dependent. I could, oh, now, Trevor's done an excellent thing now. I don't know if you did it deliberately. I love the fact that we've gone from Bible to spirit because these two things are intrinsically linked. In fact, it's in Luke chapter 4, 4, that Jesus himself says, man does not live by bread alone, but by the very words that come out of uh, God's lips in the Bible. It's in Luke 4, he emphasizes the Bible. And then in Luke 4, the same chapter, we're told about Jesus, that he was full of the spirit, led by the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, and then in Luke 4, sentence 18, Jesus himself quotes Isaiah and says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. So not only are we desperately in need of the Word, says Jesus in Luke 4, in Luke 4 as well, Jesus demonstrates that we all need that empowering, that filling, that leading of the Spirit. And friends, it's pretty simple to me. I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm not the brightest, brightest knife in the rack. <laughs> I'm not the sharpest knife in the rack. Um, and so my Christian faith is like this. You, Jeff only just got that. My, my, my Christian faith basically goes like this. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, Christian means mini Christ. Christian is Latin. It's a Latin word. It means small Christ, right? So my job is to be a mini me of Jesus, right? I look at what Jesus has done and I try and do the same as best I possibly can, yeah? Well, if Jesus says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord needs to descend off me, if Jesus says, spirit, lead me, if Jesus says, spirit, fill me, if Jesus says, I need your power, who on earth am I to suggest I don't? To suggest I don't. Crumbs, I desperately, desperately need it. Now, I'm not talking here about a particular church experience. I'm not talking about whether you label yourself with a particular label, charismatic or Pentecostals. They may or may not mean anything to you. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about whether you put your hands in the air or whether you stand like a soldier. For those of you who, who have been in church for about 10 minutes, you know I'm more of an, uh, what's the word, extrovert. That's the word, isn't it? You know, in, in my mannerisms, I shout quite a lot. I had someone ask me once, Isaac, uh, Isaac that's, wrong. that's not me, that's my son. Um, uh, uh, he also shouts quite a lot. Someone came up to me and said, Alex, why do you shout so much in church? And I said, well, actually, I did a study of the Psalms once in the Old Testament. They're, the, they're the, 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 the top 10 of Israel's worship songs. The Psalms are top 150. They're worship songs. And if you read through it, the word shout, shout to the Lord, appears once more than the word sing to the Lord. Once more. Well, I can't sing, but I can shout, so I lean into the shouting, right? Um, Oh, where was this? Oh, yeah. My, my point being, my point, my point is being is this. If, if Jesus is saying that Jesus, God himself, needed God's spirit in him. Now, I don't know how that works. But who are we to suggest that we don't? 
And as I say, it's not about a particular style of worship, necessarily, or a particular wing of the church you're from. It's not necessarily about whether you, you arm wrestle and have verbal fisticuffs about which gifts aren't or are available today. I'm not talking about any of that, as important as some of those questions are. I'm talking about a simple openness to recognize life is hard and God is offering you a fantastic gift of his spirit to get you through it. And why are you turning your back on that? And I do know, especially if we've been around church a little bit or if we've been stung by church, an openness to God's Holy Spirit can be a little bit of a frightening thing. I know that. I guess I'm trying to say is we're trying to be the kind of place where it is safe and available to explore that fully if you want to. And I urge you to, because Jesus does, doesn't he? Who's got a third one? So we've done Bible, spirit, crumbs. They're coming thick and fast. Steve, is that you? Say again. Prayer. Well, see, now Steve has brilliantly... Did you look at my notes, Steve? Because an application I had for spirit dependent, which I haven't talked about, is actually that shown in our prayer life. That as, as a dependence on God's spirit flows out through actually how much we're in conversation asking God to work in our life. If, if there is zilch prayer life, there is zilch dependence on God's spirit. Cool. Who's got another one of values? We've, got, we've had Bible, we've had spirit, we've got two more. Love, loving people, Florence. Or was that teamwork between Riri and Florence? Yeah. Was it? Was it? What do you fancy, Florence? Uh, do you want M&Ms? The, the Aero um, mint flavoured one or Galaxy? M&Ms. Well, you have to share them. Ready? There we go. Well done, Florence. Loving people. So Bible saturated, spirit dependent, now loving people. So we want to be the kind of individuals and the kind of church where everyone feels welcome where everyone feels that they belong, where everyone feels that they are embraced. And again, we're just trying to mimic Jesus here. Jesus who says very famously, love your neighbours, love your friends, doesn't he? And love your enemies. Now, that's his spectrum of, of love, isn't it? They're his two end points. Does anybody in your life fall out of that? Is anyone either not your friend or not your enemy or, or nowhere in between? Well, well, no, he's encompassed everyone, hasn't he? Love those who help you. Love those who hate you. Love those who assist you. Love those who harm you. Love them all, says Jesus. Now, just like with all these values, there's a moment when the rubber hits the road, isn't there? It's easy to say. It's much harder to live out. So I am talking about that person you're thinking of and your stomach churns with fear because of what they've done to you. Or your heart swells with fury with what you want to do to them. Very challengingly, Jesus is talking about that person and how you love them. Not to risk of yourself, to be wise and sensible, really important. And I will be delighted to journey with you on a difficult journey to love someone who you've had it very hard to love but it's these people Jesus is talking about. And corporately for us as a church, it means we seek to embrace everyone, even if we cannot endorse everything that is true of them. That we seek to embrace everyone, whatever is true of them, even if we cannot endorse everything that is true of them. And again, we've learned ways to do that wisely and well and in a protective and safe environment, but everybody is welcome here in our church, part of God's family, loving people. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, and he says, let your love increase 
and overflow to one another and to everyone else. Do you see his double tautology there? Let your love both increase and overflow to one another and to everyone else. He's encompassing everyone, isn't he? Loving people. Challenging stuff, isn't it? This is what it means to be Jesus' rock. Revealed and declare. Declare that Jesus is in the Christ in word and in action. It means loving people. It means being Bible-saturated. It means being spirit-dependent. Number four, last chocolate bar on offer. You can't have two, but Ruth got it. Courageous in mission, that's right. Nice try, Trevor. Yeah, Maureen's had words about your waistband with me. Right, uh, Ruth, you have minty mints or um, galaxy? You don't mind? Minty mints it is. Got them? Nice. Anyone want the galaxy? First hand up. Oh, ready? Ready? It's coming over. Whoa, look out, Sonny. Wow, Sonny was confident there. More confident than I was. My throwing, throwing abilities there. Uh, so the last one is courageous in mission. Courageous in mission. We want to be individuals and the community that is gutsy and audacious and risk-taking and ready to fail. I love my son Isaac, who's about to turn nine at school. They define fail as first attempt in learning. F-A-I-L. First attempt in learning. I love that. That's absolutely where Jesus' heartbeat is. We're ready to take risks. We're ready to try new things because we really believe the news about Jesus is good news. And when you have good news, you do everything you possibly can to get it to people. Mark 1 verse 1, the very opening of Mark's account of Jesus' life, says this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who is the same as God. And that word good news there literally means momentous news, phenomenal news, incredible news. It's the kind of equivalent of... Um, uh, the little blue strip on the pregnancy test. I'm going to have a baby. Obviously, that only accounts for about half of us. Yeah, but it's momentous, life-changing. Nothing's the same ever again. Or it's, or it's when she says yes, and you slip the diamond ring on her finger. Oh, my goodness, she's got you now. Nothing will be the same again. It's that kind of element, that kind of momentous, life-changing, doesn't just make you smile, doesn't just make you happy for a moment or two. Your whole trajectory of life changes because of that moment. Well, that word, good news, in the original Greek means momentous news, life-changing news. Now, when you have news like that, you literally will go over hell and high water to get that news to people. It takes courage to do that, doesn't it? And so we will be a courageous church. We will pursue Jesus, Jesus who went into pubs and went along tax collectors and mixed with people deemed unsuitable to such an extent that people called him a drunkard and people called him a user of prostitutes. That's the language in the original. They said Jesus had paid for sex. That's the language in the original. He risked it all. He was dangerous and courageous so people would have the good news. I long to be that kind of church. I long to be that kind of person, that kind of man. So there are four values. Loving people, courageous in mission, Bible-saturated, spirit-dependent. For us as a church, as a people, you need to make your own individual decision. We feel they're what Jesus is calling us to be, to be his rock, which he will use to build his church, to be those who it's been revealed by God is it being declared by us?
in words and actions, declared by how we love people as a fantastic family where everyone is welcome, declared as we're courageous in mission, like that fruitful farm, desperate to grow and see more people saved, as we're Bible-saturated and declaring it out, taking seriously God's word, doing and delighting, doing and delighting, it's both, do and delight in this word, and declaring it by being ready and willing to be filled by God's Spirit, in the power of God's Spirit, led by God's Spirit, to say with Jesus, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord might please descend upon me. As we finish with the last song in just a moment, Thine be the glory, I want to just leave you with two questions. The first is, which of those are you good at? Kind of naturally. Loving people? Kind of just lean to being able to love folk. Courageous in mission, like a jarhead. Ah! Bible saturated. You're one of those people who just, you just read it, read it, fascinated by it. Spirit dependent. You're just ready to throw yourself on God. Abandoned, as that song said. Which one are you, kind of by nature, if you like, just good at? Have you thanked Jesus for that? And he said, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. That might be your first response. Just to pause. Not be ungrateful. Come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, thank you. That Not perfectly, but I, I'm able to love folk who are a bit unlovable. Or I'm able to understand the Bible and teach it to others. And I just want to say thank you for that. Second question. What are you not so great at? Did you really struggle with that love thing? Like there are people. That criminal record, sorry, I'm not going to love you. Now, there's a lot of sophistication and nuance here. I'm so aware of that. I'm so aware of that. Love is not a feeling here. You, you, you know that. Love, love in the Bible is hardly ever how you feel. It's how you act. Act loving. How the Bible describes marriage, by the way. It's not how you feel about your spouse. It's how you act towards your spouse. Love will go like this. Sexual chemistry will go like this. You choose to love. What are you not so good at? Love? Bible? Spirit? You know, just... Well, as we sing, after you've said your thank you, maybe just ask Jesus to help you develop that area. We want to be whole people, don't we? Full people. Ask Jesus for the next step in developing that area, whatever it might be. Let me pray for us before we stand and sing. Gracious Heavenly Father and Sovereign Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, which you promise will take your word and do your work in our lives. And so I pray your word this morning would now work, refining, changing, provoking, disturbing, comforting in right measure, that we would have heard clearly that Jesus will build his church and heard clearly he, need, he needs rocks. He needs rocks. He needs men and women and boys and girls who know that Jesus is the Christ and will declare it in life and lip. Help us to be more the individuals, the couples, the singles, the families, and the church 
that you long us to be, that you might use us as you build your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song as a closing song this morning.